Welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So the next sequel that we're going to be covering is one that everyone thinks about. Whether it be going onto a highway and pulling behind a tractor trailer that has logs or pipes. You're thinking about the scene for Final Destination 2. I know you are. I think about it. So many people think about it. And even this week's guest, who's a writer of that one, he wrote the first one. He was a creator of it, Jeffrey Reddick. He even says every week he's been getting tagged in a meme of the logs on a tractor trailer because everybody thinks about it. It is in the zeitgeist. People use that word, and it was so fascinating to hear him mention he could never imagine that it's used as, like, man, you almost got Final Destination. Like, that's something that people say. So it was cool to hear about his journey from Kentucky to Hollywood and a little stop in New York City when he was working for New Line because as a kid, he was ballsy. He wrote Bob Shea, a prequel script to Nightmare on Elm Street at the age of 14, and then he kept in contact with him and, uh, you know, years later, he's working for New Line in New York City. So great stories about how... Final Destination started as a spec script. I'm not going to say what show. The story is amazing from how it started from a spec script to becoming Final Destination and the tweaks that were made to that script and the connection to what show that spec script was for to the actual movie Final Destination when it was actually finished, who worked on it. It's pretty fascinating. We talked a little bit about the new one that was coming out. Obviously, you couldn't divulge any information. Just... uh just lots of fun. I love talking to Jeffrey. He's set to, in the next few months, uh, direct a slasher, and he's a big slasher fan, which is pretty cool. And just hearing about his process when it comes to writing, what inspired him to, to make Final Destination, because most of the time when uh, people are writing, acting, director, you know, they start off having like a quote-unquote big hit. So it, it was pretty neat for him to be able to have that as the, as the starting point in his career, like, having that be the first credit uh, on his IMDb. Pretty fascinating. Great guy to talk to. Great interview. Uh, you're going to love Jeffrey's story about his journey you know, to Hollywood and some of, the, some of the adventures he had along the way. Before I start the interview, if you're new here, make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening. At sequels only. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And if you like to read books, I helped... Uh, Amazing character actor Larry Hankin put together his memoirs uh, and his book. You could find it's on our website, sequelsonly.com, but it's on Amazon. It's called That Guy, a cautionary memoir. It's great. People are loving it. So uh, you'll love it too. So why not check it out and sit back, relax. If you're driving behind a log truck, maybe you should pull over because uh, you're going to love this interview with the man who put that horrific image into our heads forever, writer, soon-to-be director, Jeffrey Reddick. Cool, man. So are you in California right now? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Striking? Nice. Are you are you on the picket line? Yeah, I've been on the picket line. So um, yeah, I've been doing that. So hopefully, I mean, it's going to last a while, but hopefully not too long. <laughs> Is this your first one or no? No, right? Uh, I was I was um, around for the OG. Well, that wasn't the original one, but the last one that went on for like a year, almost a year. Yeah, like I was. Was that end end of two thousands or no? 
It was like, yeah, early, early 2000s. Okay. Yeah, I remember like SNL. I remember, I forgot what it was. There was like something that I used to watch regularly and it would just like went downhill. I don't think it was SNL. Maybe like some show, but uh, no, it's it's crazy, especially with streaming. I was talking to an actor a few months ago and he was like talking about obviously what might be coming next month. Yeah. With like the directors and the producers and also like Screen Actors Guild, like right after that, right around that same time. Yeah. But it's crazy. Like you never know the future, right? Like, like in 1776, when they wrote all these laws, they never thought about social media or all these oh. other things that might be out there. Yeah. Same thing with film. Nobody thought about streaming and not like the quote unquote original syndication. So things obviously have to change. Yeah. For you guys. They waited long enough. I mean, streaming was very new during the last strike. It had just, you know, with cable, you know, I think there was just HBO and a few streamers out there. So their big argument then was like, well, this, it's a new thing. We don't know how much, (laughs) you know, we don't know how we're going to make money. So we don't know what to do. And now it's like cut to now. And they're still trying to make that same argument. And it's like, you guys keep posting how much you're making (laughs) in the quarter on streaming. Um, So we know you're making a lot of money. So it's, uh, yeah, you, yeah. Time to pay pay us a little bit. <laughs> greedy, yeah, greedy <laughs> bastards. Oh, I know, right? No, and it's crazy. No, there's so many, there's so many different streaming, and it's gonna. It's so funny. Like, remember in the beginning, it was like, all right, I'm gonna have Hulu, I'm gonna have Netflix, and now all these other places that you thought wouldn't maybe try that. Then you have like the Peacocks. Like everyone is going to that avenue. And to get yeah. it to the point that that a la carte that in our minds that we thought were, was great. Oh, cancel cable. Just get internet and get like the four ones I like. And then it's like, oh, but then this one has one and, and this one. And then you end up spending as much. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's crazy. And then they're merging and it's just, yeah, there's a lot of craziness that goes on behind the scenes. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, you know, they spend a lot of money on huge shows, but it's almost like they want to punish us for all the shitty shows they make that don't make money for it so that's they're like well, we don't yeah. have anything yeah it's just it's been a it's a very impressive I mean, the, the good thing is all the unions the streaming is the probably everyone's number one concern and then it's like you know the no working for free which it's, it's kind of a no-brainer and then ai is also like something that we kind of yeah. have to tackle because i don't think the next negotiations are going to be up for you know another they, they might get pushed off another eight years and we've already seen that, you know, AI can, it certainly can't write TV shows, but it can write, it could write a bad, it could write a really bad script that they could hire somebody for really cheap to come in and format it and try to make it better. And also, with yeah, like actor, to punch it up or something. Yeah. You know, they're scanning actors now so they can use them, you know, use their, their digital likeness and not have to pay them like as much as they normally would. So. That's crazy. Is there any na- actors that like people would know that are doing that, or is it just people? I, I haven't heard. I just heard that. I just know that there's that there there are scanning actors, and I mean, you see a lot of you know, with especially with dead actors, them using them, you know, their likenesses, um, yeah, in films, and you know, de aging them, and you know, a lot of a lot of times they don't. Everything's so CGI. You don't even really need. You know, <laughs> you can pay an actor a decent paycheck and. It's a, at some point, I mean, I don't think I don't think movie stars are going to ever go out of style because people like people <laughs> like, you know, yeah, yeah. you just don't have that connection if you 
you know, if it's a cartoon, that's one thing. But if it's like a, a person, it's like, oh, well, here's, you know, Sandra AI Peterson. <laughs> yeah. I love her. It's no, like- I know. And that's something like, I, I don't know. I, that's what I love about film is like the, everything that goes into it, all the people that are involved working on it. And I don't know. It's just, if I, I was listening to a, some podcast and some guy talked about like, the same thing you just mentioned, like actors being scanned and like older actors and somebody who's like, who wouldn't want to see a rom-com with Marilyn Monroe? And it was like Chris Pratt. And I'm like, I really, I don't, I like Chris Pratt and I like Marilyn Monroe movies, but I don't know. I'm just watching it the whole time. I'd be like, this is impossible. Like, yeah, yeah like, I don't know. You know, it just makes no sense. But, uh, you know, it's such a big, uh, a topic. Like it's crazy. Like all within a year, like when I first heard of like chat GPT, I was like, oh, okay, this is like kind of fun to put things in. And then it's scary. Like, it's really scary yeah. in a way. Yeah. Even the AI people, the people that created it are like, uh, yeah, we need to put some rails yeah. on this thing because, you know, it can just, it can go, it could just be there. It can be used for good, but it can be used for, as anything, it can be used for, for bad as well. And since, especially since it can impersonate people, um, you know, that's the biggest thing. Like, you don't, you know, we already don't trust what we see with our own eyes anyway. So if you're <laughs> adding like AI into it and everybody's watched Terminator movies, it's like, this is not going to end. Exactly. Well. <laughs> I know it's like Terminator Genesis. Like we covered that not too long ago. And that one is like that because in the movie, it's basically like, Ooh, this cool social media, like merging of platforms. And it's like supposed to be like the greatest thing and everybody gets into it. And then that's what changes everything. But, uh, well, let's talk about you, Jeff. I I, I love talking to writers because I think it's it's fascinating. Your and your career's fascinating. Just most of the time, people, actors, directors, everyone, like their early credits are like a, a TV show, like, oh, I wrote a spec for happy days, and then then things went on. That's pretty pretty fascinating, you know, home run right off the bat. But but obviously I'm sure you're writing before that. So writers are always writing, but, uh, so when did that all begin for you? You grew up in Kentucky, right? Grew up in Kentucky. Uh, yeah, I always wanted to be an actor. It's funny you bring that up, but so I studied theater in college and then I went to New York for a summer to go to the American Sweet. Academy of Dramatic Arts. And while I was there, I got an internship at New Line Cinema, um, that made Nightmare on Elm Street. So nice. I had a long history, like a long male history with them from Kentucky. Like I kind of wrote like a prequel for a Nightmare on Elm Street when I was like 14 after I saw the movie and I mailed it to Bob Shea and he re- he kind of sent it back at first because it was unsolicited but then I didn't even know what that meant actually because I was too young I to look up yeah. unsolicited and um and then I wrote I sent it wrote him back and I was like look I've spent like three dollars on your movie so I think you can take five minutes to read my story and um he read it and so he stayed in touch with me and his assistant, Joy Mann, they stayed in touch with me from age 14 to 19, just like sending me movie posters and sending me scripts to read. Um, it was just very, very helpful and very encouraging. Wow. What yeah. scripts did he send you? Like nightmare scripts or other scripts that? Nightmare on Elm Street script. Um, I can't remember what other scripts they sent. It was so long. It was so long ago. I just remember they would send me. They sent me like the Nightmare 2 script, which I didn't, I didn't like the movie at the time, but. Um, I've, yeah. I've, grown, I've grown to like it, but as a, as a fan of the terrifying first movie to kind of go and see the second one, which was like a pretty much a comedy. I was like, why is this parakeet exploding? What's going on here? Yeah. Um, yeah. So th- I did ask them to send me all, a lot of the scary scripts um, that they had. And 
yeah, they just encouraged me. And I went there and I got an acting agent that summer and I got the internship at New Line and um, started off doing doing pretty decent with auditions in that with in acting. But this was like the early 90s. So non-traditional casting was not a thing. Um, so my agent was basically like, look, you know, you're like an ethnic Michael J. Fox, you know, boy next door type. And I was like, that's great. Everybody likes Michael J. Fox. She says, yeah, but they don't write ethnic versions of that so she was basically oh um, my god yeah no but she was being honest like that was just the reality yeah yeah no no that's good uh, yeah it was just the reality of the 90s so she's like you know i can you know the only stuff that i could send you up for like if you rapped or played basketball i could there's a lot of auditions i could get you but since you don't do those things like there just aren't really roles like where they're asking for people that look like you so i was like all right well I'm not going to like give up on working in entertainment. So English was like my second, well, it was my best subject in school. Like we didn't really have acting in my young, my high school. Um, so English was my best subject. So I was like, well, I'll just start writing, you know, and then I'll write roles for myself. And then I, you know, obviously kept writing murdering teenager movies. And then I definitely <laughs> not being a teenager anymore. Um, but yeah, I, um, I w- it was 97, I think, when I sold this s- s- treatment and wrote the script for, ni- for Final Destination. Um, 97? Like my- wow. Yeah. So it was like six six years after after starting there. And um, I'd written a- several scripts before that. One, A couple of them actually almost got like on Weekend Read, which is on all the executives will read it over the weekend. I did have one script get on Weekend Read. And I was like, holy shit. But... <laughs> Yeah, this was the first one. Like I, I had the idea. I used it to write an X Files spec script to get an agent. Uh, but then my friends yes. at New Line were like, "Oh, this is a great idea. Don't like send it into the X Files. Like you should use write this as a movie." Um, <sighs> so, and a lot of this, you know, a lot of my career, it's like a, a mixture. Of, yeah, it's definitely like work, but luck, luck, and being at the right place at the right time does help play a huge part. I think in people's careers, like talent absolutely hard work absolutely but a lot of it is just luck you know because i had a friend of mine who started working for a producer two producers who had a deal at new line so instead of me just submitting it to new line like i normally did i was like well let me be smart and let me go through these producers get them on board and then have them bring it into new line so that way it's not just oh jeffrey that works over in marketing you know has another script he's written um so so we developed it 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 was a long process it was like six months after you know new line had a really hard time getting their heads around death you know not having a physical killer in the movie they're like oh it doesn't make sense you can't fight it you can't see it we don't and we're like that's the whole point that's what makes it you know different and i definitely i wanted to keep death away from being tied to any kind of belief system like in a religion or belief system because i was like everybody's afraid of death so the more nebulous you make it you know the more people can project their own idea of what death is on it and um at first all the characters were were adults um but then scream came out and they're like well let's try making them all teenagers i'm like all right fine yeah i always roll (laughs) yeah uh, and then finally i did kind of cave a little bit and gave them like during the final fight, you know, you saw like this kind of black, like nebulous kind of entity thing show up. 
Um, and they were still like, ah, we just, we're not sure about this. And finally the producers are like, well, we're going to take it to Miramax if you guys pass on it, if you don't pick it up. And they're like, oh, we'll buy it. You know, like, <laughs> buy it. So that, this could have been a Harvey Weinstein movie, which would have been really great for my <laughs> legacy. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, once they got it, it, I have to say they, they pretty much fast tracked. I mean, we were, we, they went out to a couple of directors. They went to Clyde Barker, which is, was interesting. Wow. I love him. And he passed on it. And then Bob Shea, who ran New Line, was like, what do you think about these guys, James Wong and Glenn Morgan, that work on the X-Files? And I was like, holy shit. Like, they're great. I love their stuff. Talking about a full circle. Oh, yeah. You know, you're going to send it into them. And yeah. then that's pretty funny. Yeah. And it was very <laughs> serendipitous that it went back to them. So they came on board. They did a they did a pretty big rewrite on it. Um and we but we got it into production like and it came out in two two thousand. So considering from the time when they picked it up to how quickly it came out, that's you know three years is a pretty quick in Hollywood time. You know to yeah develop, develop an actual script, sh- cast it, shoot it, get it together for production, and then market it and get it out there. So so yeah, that was the that that is the. The story of my Final Destination <laughs> to Final Destination coming out. And how how about like, so you say major rewrite, like how much change was there like scenes? Like what is like the imprint that you still have on that movie? Yeah. I mean, the biggest change, the way I describe it is my, my version was very much influenced by Nightmare on Elm Street. So since death basically didn't get them the first time, it couldn't come back and kill them. So it would basically mindfuck them over different either secrets they had or their survivor's guilt and haunt them so much that they ended up committing suicide, which is pretty dark. Um, uh, So the biggest change they made was, which I'm grateful for because I think it expanded it beyond the horror audience is they came up with the Rube Goldberg angle that death used things around you every day to get you. So that was the biggest change, in, which I'm, again, I'm actually really grateful they did that because I think my version would have definitely hit with the horror fans, like Death Simo, uh, because it was very creepy, mind-bending, horrific imagery. But I think the the idea that death can use anything around you to get you um, is much more relatable to people everywhere. So, yeah, yeah, I was really, really... I'm really happy with that with that change. Yeah. So how'd you come up with the idea? Like obviously you're inspired by Nightmare on Elm Street. Was it just like thinking about a movie like was there another type of movie that you like merged together in your mind? No, it was actually or- very very mundane, actually. I was um I was flying <laughs> home. Um Kentucky's good because Kentucky gave us the log truck and then the idea for this. Ugh. So um, <laughs> I was flying home to Kentucky and I was, I was, I read an article and I'm pretty sure it was in people, but I've, I've never, I'm not sure exactly. There was some magazine I bought to read on the plane. And there was a story in there about a woman who was on vacation and her mother said, don't take the flight you're on tomorrow. Cause I have a bad feeling about it. So the woman changed her flight and the plane that she was supposed to be on crashed. So I'm, I'm reading this on a plane and I'm like, Oh, this is a, a pretty cool, like, you know, idea like you know what if she didn't but i didn't have a story for it at that point i just kind of filed it away in my head and when it was time to come up with an idea for 
an X Files spec script, I was trying to think of like a what would be a good opening scene, and you know, I, I Scully had a brother Charles that you never really saw in the show, so I was like, oh, well, you know, it would be cool as if Scully's brother has his premonition, gets pulled off the plane, and then everybody starts dying, so the police think it's him. Scully have and Mulder have to investigate, and you know, you know, she just you know in the script she was like, you know, I'm. I'm this was like the final straw because she'd already lost several people, you know? And so she's yeah. like, you know, after this, I'm, I'm done with the X-Files, but she ends up staying, staying with the X-Files. But yeah, that, that was the, uh, that article started the, the idea is like having a premonition and then missing your time to die and then death kind of coming to make it right, you know, to, to, to try to clear it up. Nice. So, Do you still have that spec script? Did you keep it? Yeah, I did. You know, I, I, um, I, I think it's bloody disgusting. It's online, but it's uh, the, f- Oh, nice. Yeah. The, I find it. Yeah. The funny thing is, um, because I wrote, you know, I, I wrote it, but I didn't have, we didn't have final draft back when I, I maybe in an early version. I don't know what the hell we were using back then, but <laughs> I didn't have the cover page. So I went and guesstimated, like I was trying to guesstimate from when I turned the material into a new line. So I, I think I put like, you know, 1995 on the script and then when it got put up online, of course, all the um, X-Files Uber fans were like, this is fake because this didn't happen in the X-Files until this time. So this couldn't have been written. So it was like 96 or so, you know, <laughs> but it's just funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just guesstimated on the date on the cover. And so it's like, <laughs> like, well, this doesn't make any, this is obviously a fake script because the copyright isn't the same. And I was like, that was, a, that was, that was, that was the level of, toxic fandom back then is just they would just call you out like, isn't real now they're like we want to murder you for killing our favorite franchise <laughs> so when that mo- so in the movie when you're writing scripts i always ask this to writers i think it's really cool because mm-hmm. people do it with set design they like like especially you mentioned before freddy's uh freddy's dead like planting things in the background were there any like things in the script that like have your handprints all over like character names like high school or anything did you add anything in there there's not i mean i in my draft i did have like i named you know the school after you know well it was set in new york so i couldn't name a lot of stuff i mean i I named characters i mean pretty much the the only character name when james and gloom claim came in they kind of changed just even character names and stuff like that it's something people do sometimes i think to to mark something so they kept alex's name but no all the other characters they named after, which I thought was cool, they named after like famous, like film directors, like Alex Browning was Todd Browning, you know, from Cat People. Clear was actually I know the name of one of their secretaries. So like in my draft, her name was Kimberly, and they changed it to Clear. So I just used Kimberly as the lead in the second movie. <laughs> I just oh, nice. changed that name because I always like that name. <laughs> so you know, I think just. The, the basic story in print, you know, them, Alex figuring out the pattern, you know, that they died in the crash was how death was killing them. You know, that's the biggest, the biggest thing that that's in there. And then the death scenes just because of the death's MO changing kind of like in my, in my version, like Todd was like the guy that gets hung in the shower in the film, which is one of my favorite scenes, actually. Um, like in, is, my yeah. script, in my script, he rigs up you know, he, his story is like his dad's like a preacher and he's been like selling drugs at school. So he starts feeling really guilty about all this stuff he's done. And then 
these people dying. And, he's, and so he rigs up, he rigs up the garage so that when his dad comes home, he's on the phone with his dad, like <sighs> apologizing. And his dad's like, you know, like hurrying home because he's scared something's wrong. And when he opens a garage door, he hears him like choking. We realize that Todd's like rigged a noose up in the <sighs> garage so that when his dad opens it, it hangs him. So there's a lot of deaths that are the same, but they just are spun differently. Um, yeah. So. No, it's clever the guilt-driven thing, but no, I think it, when you think about those scenes, what the greatest thing is is when the trickery of when you think it's going to occur, especially in that scene, because yeah. you see the water and the way the camera follows the water. I think those movies are so fascinating to me because other ones, obviously, there's only one Robert Englund, there's only one Freddy, there's only one Jason, but there is an opportunity to make another guy in a mask kills teens movies yeah. like it's done before but i don't think has there ever been somebody that tried to do final destination like a, a knockoff of it i don't think oh, it's possible I haven't, I haven't really there there was there was an old movie that i i hadn't seen before i saw this but i saw it after because somebody was like you ripped off this movie soul survivor Ugh. and no no it's fine people what people yeah are. no i know but it's so i i watched it it was actually <laughs> cool it's about a it's about a plane crash where this woman's the only survivor. So like they find the wreckage and she's sitting in this chair and she's like untouched. And she, so she survived this crash and she starts seeing like people from the plane crash haunting her. And then at the end, she spoilers, I'm going to spoil. So in case you haven't seen it, it's <laughs> spoiler alert. Yep. She ends up killing herself. And I, but I'm not sure if she died in the crash and this was just all like, you know, that, um, Al Creek movie, or I forget the whole name of that old, old movie where the guy is getting hung for a crime and then he thinks he gets away and then it ends with him like hitting the end of the rope and his neck snapping. But oh it's kind of, it's kind of Carnival of Souls. Um, very, so I, I saw that movie and I was like, oh, this is definitely in the same vein. Did I haven't seen anybody like copy the movie? I've seen, I've seen some movies like, um, you know, tr truth or dare that I think that have a very final ascension vibe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like something leads to something else, um, leads to something else. But yeah, I haven't seen any. I'm surprised people should rip it off more. I mean, come on, it's fun. <laughs> no, I think it's just so fascinating because I think it's such. It has this perfect formula, and I'm sure when you wrote this in '97 or you started with the spec strip before that, you're probably like. Most of the people I talk to and they're like, I do a movie and it's done. Right. But yeah. somehow, right. Did yeah. you, could you have imagined the box office success and then the more and more being made afterwards? I mean, I, as a horror fan, I had hoped that we would have a sequel. Like I, I was definitely hoping we'd have a sequel. Um, what I, I wish we had more sequels and I wish I had a toy for death because I, I have toys for all my other favorite horror movies. But um, <laughs> the thing that I wasn't prepared for is that it was that it was that it become like it would become part of like the public zeitgeist in a way that it has. Like I'll, I'll hear people sometimes when I'm out, you know, in public with something almost happens. They're like, oh, that was almost a Final Destination moment. You know, oh, that was Final <laughs> Destination, man. You better watch out. So to I never thought that it would be become that. I still, I still every week somebody's tagging me on some meme or picture of somebody behind a log <laughs> truck, 
or a yeah, yeah. truck stacked with stuff. And they're like, oh, not today, death. Um, so that, you know, that still baffles <laughs> my mind that it's been 20, 20 odd years later since the first one came out. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's really, as a horror fan, it's just really cool. It's just, it's a great movie. I think it encompasses, like you said, like they said, Hey, screams big. We'll make him younger. But I think that era really has some great horror movies, like urban legends, uh, obviously the screen movies. I know you did last summer summer, final destination. And the people cast in those movies are like great actors. Like Devin Sawa has reinvented his career in like the last five, 10 years. He plays a great bad guy. Like oh, he yeah. goes one on one with Stallone in Escape Plan Three, and I'm like, this is the this is yeah. the Casper and the I little know. giants. Like you think of him like that, or even in like Idle Hands. Obviously, it's a different yeah. kind of role, but it's like this guy is like he's Ali Larder. That was like before she blew up. Yeah, it's like right after this is when she like took off. Yeah, and then I remember the producer Craig Perry, who's thankfully still like real, really hands on with the sequels. Um, he told, he was telling us like, there's this, cause he produced American pie too. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. there's this kid in American pie, Sean William Scott, like, trust me, this kid's going to blow up. You need to put him in final destination. So they were like, okay. So it was like, you know, we got Sean William Scott, like right before, um, you know, like right when, before American pie had come out by the time we were shooting, <laughs> um, you know, Kristen cloak, who's been in so many you know, a lot of X-Files and, you know, Space Above and Beyond and Black Christmas. I mean, she's a great actress. Um, yeah, they got they got a lot of really good talent. Keir Smith. Oh, so. yeah. And Tony Todd in, like, this great role. Like, what a role for him. It's yeah. creepy, and you're like, oh, man, dude, this is cool. For I always say Tony Todd for last, because I remember when they, when Bob came to me, and he's like, because first of all, I, I, this was, again, this was, back in back in the back in the olden days but my one thing was like you know since this is set in new york i said let's just make sure the cast looks like new york you know like we you know and my mom's white so i can say this so i said i just don't make sure all the kids aren't you know make sure everybody is not white in this classroom because that you can't pull a classroom from new york where everybody's white and so but they shot in canada so they weren't really thinking of any of that and so you know, I was getting a little frustrated because I was like, this just doesn't look like New York. And they're like, well, there's a really good girl. What do you think about Tony Todd for like the mortician? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like candy man? <laughs> like my, like one of my top three favorite movies of all time, Candyman. Yes, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> and he's a, like, I've got to be friends with him and Devin over the years. Um, very good friends. And uh, they're both amazing, but you know Tony Todd was—he's such a great actor. And he just you know, again, Candyman was one of my favorite films. But I loved him in Night of the Living Dead. I loved him. I've loved him in everything yeah. he's done. He's just—he did a one-man show um, here in Los Angeles where he played the first um, black uh, welterweight champion to, to win a championship, and it's a one-man show, and it's go—it's over. It's like probably an hour and 15, 20 minutes where it's just him on stage, no break. Um, and he, <laughs> uh, he just blows it. He just blew it out of the water. He's like, you can't want not be mesmerized by this man on stage. And I went up to him afterwards and I was like, you were so amazing in that. He's like, 
oh damn it he goes i guess i messed up two lines i'm like Tony, <laughs> like nobody nobody could tell you know because it's not like when you mess up a line on stage you get you stop and like start over you just keep but there was like nothing about that performance like and i i love that he takes his acting so seriously you know not that you know that yes you're giving him all this like praise and he's just like focused on i fucked up two lines during that <laughs> yeah. hour and 20 minute one man show and nobody gets like come on dude go easy on yourself he's so such a great person too he's such a kind like loving person and devin's amazing too like to see him like yeah go from like casper to final destination where he did an amazing job and plus wild he did so many things and then to see him now coming back and he you know he's he's from canada chucky yeah yeah and he's from Canada, but he's like, if you met him, you would swear he was from like the Bronx. Like he's just, got this, <laughs> like, he's got like this machismo about him where like you would not want to, he's a sweet, sweetheart, but you would not, you're like, yes, if, if I was going to put somebody up against Sylvester Stallone, I'd have no problem putting Devin up against him because I know he could hold his own hands down. So yeah, uh, to see him just kind of have, you know, star in all these other, these new shows and films like, you know, it's a, you know, it's a great business. I mean, you, you have, you know, highs and you have dry spells and you just kind of keep going. Like if you, if you're passionate about it, you just keep going. And your brain needs support and new Ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine and caffeine brainy chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, because if you stop, somebody else is going to be there for that. But that's what Colbert said about being in uh, Second City. He was basically like his Corel, his second. So th- th- he was like, Corel just said, hey, if you stick it out long enough, you're going to make it. I don't know how long you're really going to make it on wherever you go next. Yeah. But you're going to get that opportunity because it's people come here to scout. Some people fizzled out and some people make it, but I think it's some of those casts that they were in, man. But just, Col- just those two names alone, Colbert and Carell, like Carell, it's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, so right. So you're talking about like you wanted a sequel and obviously you got your wish. How quick afterwards were you already thinking about that in your mind and, and already like writing a draft? I, it was funny because I, I had an, I had some ideas for the sequel, especially once I knew we were kind of doing the Rube Goldberg kind of aspect of it. And it was a, I, Final Station was definitely like a sleeper hit, like a word of mouth hit because the studio didn't put a ton of marketing money behind it at the beginning because they they still weren't sure, you know, if audiences were going to connect with it. And usually horror films like open really high and then their second week, they drop off like 50, 55%. Like there's a huge drop off. And so we actually, we opened at number three opening weekend, but then they were tracking it during the week and the box office was going up every day. <laughs> so it wasn't dropping and they were like, oh shit. So then they started putting more money in behind it and then word of mouth spread it and it eventually made it to number one. I, and then I, I know that, that there was an article in Entertainment Weekly where they were like, of all the movies that had come out, of March of that year, like that one stayed in the top five longer than any other film. So by the, 
when I saw the numbers were going up and I saw people getting excited, I'm like, all right, I'm going to start, you know, cause I, had some, <laughs> like, I had some ideas for what I wanted to do with the sequel. Like I knew I have stuff that I, you know, I love bringing back, like they call them legacy characters. Now um, I love bringing back like some characters from the first movie since the first movie was a bunch of teenagers getting killed. Um, I wanted to set up an opening where you thought, oh, we're going to be following these four kids that are going, you know, on this trip and then killing all of them except for Kimberly. Like, so I wanted to do that. I wanted to set up, oh, you think these are our leads and then splatter them all over the place. <laughs> and then I wanted to like expand world a little bit. So, you know, you find out that everybody that was supposed to die on the freeway in Final Station 2 were only alive because people cheated death in the first movie. So I wanted to show that there was this ripple effect going outward that was affecting, that affected other people. So I got to do like all my favorite kind of things and in, in a sequel story, but it's funny. Cause again, typical Hollywood, you know, I, I wrote the treatment. They met with every, everybody in town, every, they met with every horse. Cause then everybody wanted to do the second one. And then they finally came back to me and they're like, all right, we're going to buy your, we're going to buy your story. I was working on a couple other things at that point. So they were like, but we have a treatment from these two guys, Eric Bress and Jay Mackey Gruber, who I actually adore. They're like great guys too. And I've gotten to be real. I haven't got, I haven't really met, hung out with Jay Mackey much over the years, but I bumped into Eric at a lot of conventions and stuff. And he's just really cool. And they both are, but they're like, we want to have them write the draft of the script, but we'll, you know, we'll buy your, we're going to buy your story and use it. Um, I was like, that's cool. As long as it gets me, you know, I'd rather it get made sooner rather than later. So, um, yeah. yeah. So it's funny because in the film hierarchy, I think Final Destination is probably my favorite. And I think it's because it found, it found the, it found the right humor in it. But I also felt like that freeway pile up scene, like that was another one where it's like the, my original opening was the kids are going on spring break and they stay at a hotel and there's the hotel catches on fire and they get burned up. And the producer's like, ah, we got to think of something a little better than that. And so, you know, I'm driving home to Kentucky to see my family again. And I get behind a log truck and I pull over into the, I pull out of the next lane and then it hit me. And then I pulled off the freeway and I called Craig. I'm like, what about a log truck on a, he's like, that's the opening. That's the opening. Yeah. And they hired David Ellis to direct a movie and he's no longer with us, unfortunately, but he did he's just he was a stunt guy he'd worked on a lot of you know did stunts on a lot of films so he knew how to you know he knew how to set that freeway pile up to make it as fucking awesome as it is like it's yeah it's one thing to come up with the with 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 it on paper but then how it comes on screen is like a whole different thing and i think he just took that to a whole nother level because he used as there's obviously cgi in it you know there were scenes with cgi in it but he used those, he used real stunt people and stunt doubles and, you know, as much as he could. And he, he knew how to like get a lot of bang for its buck. And so that was such a fun movie. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's why the movies work because I think there's a cool like formula in a sense when it comes to, you know, you're going to get a really cool death because they're all really cool. The first movie, yeah. second movie, so forth. They're always like, really good looking. Like you mentioned Sean William Scott before his death is so cool in the first yeah. one, because yeah. in, in the, in one sense he's thinking it's not going to be him. And then he's like thinking in his head, like, Oh, if it just skipped you. And then you just see 
the piece of like metal yeah. and you're like oh my god and it just looks good yeah they lopped off half his head as opposed to like <laughs> just decapitating him or they like took off the top of his head that's what i liked about glenn and james always have this like if you watch their stuff they have like this very twisted like dark sense of humor um that comes into it that's in a lot of their work and so i, th- I thought that's i really enjoyed that stuff in the first film it was just for me the, the second film just felt I, didn't, I know there was just something about the second film because i think i got to put a lot of my because the first one went through so many it went from an x-files tv script where they were adults who didn't know each other to like high schoolers or yeah high schoolers that knew each other so it went through so many development changes while we were doing it and the second one just didn't go through as much go didn't go through as many changes um so it just felt more like even though you know i just wrote the treatment which was you know laying out the story it felt it just it just felt more for me having gone through the whole ride it just felt like oh this is this is like you know like this is me this is like me because you could see your everything stick through it but uh it's no it's fascinating the way it started like an x-files treatment to i don't know if you should send that in and then look at where it went to yeah <laughs> like what, what's coming out next the 11th one or the no 10th one? i wish i wish the sixth one only they the will, sixth one is just made five of them i know like that's and i'm just i'm saying this is a fan i'm just saying every other fucking horror franchise has had like yeah great we're we're on we're on par with scream as far as like they just come out with their sixth one but yeah. every other horror franchise, like Friday the 13th, I mean, there have been like a gazillion of them. And like, you know, I know. It, it, it's like this is a formula. Like, I don't think I'm I mean, shocked. I'm looking right now. So the last one came out in 2011. Yeah, it's going to be 13 years. That's crazy. Next year. Yeah, it's. um, Yeah, I, I it starts making you feel a little old because I didn't even realize it had been that long. And somebody was like, you know, if it comes out next year. Um, it'll be, it'll be on the 13th anniversary of the last one. I'm like, oh, yeah. cool number, but fuck you for making me feel so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <been> that long. <laughs> no, but it's crazy. Yeah. Cause I think saw is on like a 10 or 11 and, but again, it's, it's like one of, it's like this rare air of mo- like horror movies, even though people say horror, oh, horror movies, there's always a sequel for the most part. That is the case because they go because some of the studios are on the big, big ones do because they obviously have the money. But other studios, they typically do the old sequel formula like Canon Group did in the 80s. They'll yeah. take the movie that the that had the name. They'll make the sequel. And they do half the budget and they don't put as much into it yeah. just to be able to cash in like you were joking about. But it's true. Like some of the horror movies, the first two, three weekends are huge. And then people tell people, oh, you don't need to see this. Yeah. And they drop off, which happened to a lot of the the later uh, like Nightmare on Elm Street movies because people are so jacked to see him. And even yeah. though I still enjoy him, uh, the Dream Child, you know, doesn't do it for me. I won't watch that too much. Yeah. Or even Freddy's Dead. And I want to ask this before I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. Did you get to read that script? The the version by the Lord of the Rings director. I can't think of his name right. Peter Jackson. No, I didn't get to. I didn't. There were so it's, did he write one for Freddy's Dead or the Freddy Jason? Freddy's Dead. He wrote, he wrote one for Freddy's Dead, and I can't find it anywhere. It's like the whole holy grail of horror movies. But in the documentary, one of the former New Line guys—I forget—not it wasn't like 
Bob Shea, but it was another like producer. He told a story about it. And I'm like, this is the greatest idea. And I still can't believe they haven't made it yet. It was basically about like the kids in town were because ta- uh, Freddie was so weak, which obviously is in most of the beginning of the movies. And then he gets strength. But in this, he was like so weak that kids would take like sleeping pills to go find him and like beat him up. Oh, and then what happened was uh, Freddie somehow killed a kid. Like, I don't know if it was some accident because they didn't go too much into it. But I'm like, God, I love that. Like, that's cause story. that's what Freddie versus Jason was sort of that sense. But Freddie used Jason to kill, to kill to in, in, uh, in, uh, whatever Springwood. But, uh, no, that's really neat that you got to read those scripts. That's the first thing I thought of before. I'm like, Oh man, he could be the one person that read that. I wish they probably, cause I worked in the New York office too. So we were, you know, we, we did like the, a lot of creative stuff there, but it was, you know, LA was, you know, where everybody lived and all the actors and stuff lived. So um, I would get my hands on what I could. So when the Freddie Jason movie was being developed, like I, I pitched an idea. I had people like, you know, I got to read a lot of the scripts that came through on that one. So yeah, it's, it's just interesting to like, to see stuff that they pass on where I'm like, well, this was a really great script. I don't know why you passed on this one and then made this other version. Like I don't understand. Yeah, no, I think Freddie versus Jason for me personally, like being in middle school during that time with like the internet sort of coming around and websites that posted scripts. I remember that one was one that I remember reading so many scripts before the movie came out. And then those were just ones that never got made. So if those were ones that were ever sent to new line or just fans put them online, but no, some scripts are really cool. If you ever have a chance, you read the, it's the 1980 or 1981 version of Batman. It's, it's still Michael. It's still not Michael Keaton, but it's Batman versus Joker. It's like really dark. It's even darker than the other one, but it's, it's, it's neat to go back and like read some scripts to see how it really should have been. But, uh, or how it could have been or what almost was. So oh, I, I want to fry. Do you, are you a Jason fan? You should be 13, 13th, man. They got to make that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like, I do like, I like Jason. I like all, I mean, I, I like all the, the slasher movies in the supernatural. So, you know, I've just grown up watching these movies. So I, I've, there's always something near and dear to my heart about them. You know, even, even the yeah. movies, they, they go off the rails you know, I, I, I usually find something to enjoy about them. Yeah. Cause no, you have there. to, that's a, that's a it's great about movie watching. Like when you rent a movie as a kid or you watch it when you're younger and there's not like streaming to change a movie in five seconds, if you don't like it, you could try yeah. another one back then you rented a movie and you finished it because you had no other, another, like, other option. another option. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now but I, no, so Jeffrey, so from, so, so right after final estate, you have the second one. Uh, obviously I'm sure people are like, Hey, this guy no, no, obviously knows what he's doing. He's got this big movie. So like return to cabin by the lake, uh, a Tamara came out in 2005. You have day of the dead. So like some really cool movies all while this is going on. Yeah. It was an interesting time because I, I think just, you know, on it from a business aspect that I think the only misstep that I really made is, I probably should have moved to California after I sold the first final destination because that this is where all the, this is where you do all the meetings and you meet all the power, ma- power makers and shakers. So I, I just am very much a creature of habit. I loved working at new line. I worked there during the nineties 
you know, early 2000s, which was like New Line's heyday when they were, they made some of the most original, you know, movies out there that nobody, like they made Blade. Everybody was like, who wants to see a black superhero? You know, Marvel superhero. Huh. You know, what <laughs> about Canada? Like, like, oh yeah. And it's like, no, Blade was the first bitches. Um, <laughs> but they made so many good films like Dumb and Dumber and The Mask and just, they took so many chances. So I loved working there so much. So even after I sold Final Destination in 97, I, I worked there. I worked there when Final, I worked there after the first Final Destination <laughs> came, came out and was a hit. I worked there until I sold the story for the second movie. And then finally my boss was like, and Bob Shea was like, we love you, Jeffrey, but you're, you're a writer now. Like you need to <laughs> go to Hollywood and write. And I was like, I, I, I'll, I can still write from New York. And so I, 9-11 happened that same year that I left New Line. So I lived down near the World Trade Center. So after 9-11, I was like, all right, I guess I should move to LA. Um, yeah. Oh my God. You were living in the city I then? Lived, yeah. I lived at Battery Park City. Oh, so we were like five blocks away from the World Trade Center. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm in Jersey. I remember being a kid oh, and just okay. walking outside. And then it was just like, just seeing it just seeing the smoke and it was crazy. I couldn't imagine being that close. Yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, it was definitely, yeah, it was insane experience. And so I moved out to California by the end of 2001. So if you think about it, it's 97, eight, nine, you know, it's five or six years after I sold the first script. So by the time I moved out yeah. to California, nobody even know, nobody knew who, who I was, you know, they didn't know I was involved in final because they were giving all the credit to like, you know, the director, you know, the X-Files guys, because they, you know, they, they were out here meeting people and everybody knew them. So I moved out here and I got my agents like, well, I have to kind of reintroduce you to the whole town because nobody really knows about that. You did final destination. I'm like, what do you mean? My name's like on the poster like twice. Um, and so <laughs> I kind of had to start, I kind of had to reintroduce. It, it was kind of a, trek of reintroducing myself to like the business out here and so i don't it's not like i had to start from scratch that would be too melodramatic but i had to i definitely wasn't out here on the when i should have ridden the final destination wave i didn't ride that right out to la like i should have so by the time i came out here i had to be introduced to a whole bunch of you know executives and then start taking a lot of meetings and so it was a it was a whole learning curve is like, ah, oh, shit, I should have moved out here. Yeah. Just most of it when I sold the first one, like that's the, that's the only career mis misstep that I, I, I feel I've taken despite some people probably saying it should have been day of the dead. <laughs> what people don't like day of the dead. Oh, I mean, it's funny. Here's, here's the deal. Like I knew I was, I knew cause they were making the movie and they'd already hired Steve Miner. And they were looking for a writer. So I'm like, well, I know the fans are going to, even if I do a, a brilliant job and we have a hundred million dollars, there are going to be people that hate this movie because it's a remake of George Romero. But I'm like, on the plus side, I'm going to get to work with Steve Miner, who had done some of my favorite, like Friday the 13th and Warlock and how, mm -hmm. like he just did so many movies that I loved. So, um, so I got the job, but then I, as I started writing the script, they kind of, started making me take out all the stuff that was related to the original movie. And to the point where I, I was getting in art fights with, with them. And I, 
I I told him, I, I was like, look, we're going to get murdered no matter what we do. But the more you take it away from Day of the Dead, like, because most of my original pitch took place like in an underground bunker, like the original. And there were yeah. still like the key elements from the original movie, but they kept making me take so much of it. They kept making me taking it further and further away. And um, so I knew we were going to get murdered when it came out. And so then I was like, well, I wish they just didn't, call it day of the dead i wish they'd have called it because i think it's a fun if you watch it it's a fun movie like you know there's some like shaky cam oversaturated green yellow stuff and sped up stuff that i don't particularly like as a style for movies but all in all it's got like a really good cast it's fun it's bloody it's just if it, it should have not been called day of the dead like they should have been called you know Z- but this was before zombie town they should have called it zombie town um or yeah. something like <laughs> and I think I think people would have really enjoyed it a lot more. Um, but we, I mean, again, lots of great effects. We had Mina Savari in it, Bing Rames, Nick Cannon, who's now populating the planet. Um, Michael yes, Welch, yes, yeah, Michael Welch, Anna Lynn McCord. So that was one of her early films as well. So yeah, we had a really wonderful cast, and we shot it in Bulgaria. So that was a first, I got to go to Bulgaria. That was the first time I'd oh cool. Bulgaria, you know, filling in for middle America. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a fun experience. It was a really fun experience, but I, I just knew who had, who had you cutting things. Was it like the studio or just, yeah, people let's just, let's yeah. Say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, yeah, it was a studio, but Steve too. I, I always just say people cause nobody ever asked me specifically, but no, no, no. I was just wondering because it's like, hey, we want you to do the remake. We want to do a remake of this movie. So yeah, cool. You start. Hey, it's a remake of the movie. It's, you obviously have elements of the movie, original movie. You would yeah. think that's remake. Yeah, it's in the yeah. word. And I and I I did up. You know, I tried to update it and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I was getting yeah. it. It was I was getting it. Was like, well, you know, at first it was like, oh, there's too much. There, there's too many zombies. You know, eating people, and it's like it's a fucking zombie movie yeah so anyway there was there were a lot of there were a lot of hands in that pie um but again like i i'm able you know once the initial sting of like something coming out and you know people wishing death on you and stuff like that um i'm able to like watch a movie on its own merits and i can say just as a zombie movie it's a really fucking fun ride and it's got some great gore in it I don't know why people are like that. I, even now, like if they remade any movie, they really think that, especially online, they think that they're going to go and like delete the original version. Like yeah. I, I love Jaws and I'm not saying to make another Jaws, but if they did remake a Jaws, I, I would yeah. sleep the same at night. Nothing would change the original Jaws if yeah. a new one got made. Well, I think the, the thing that frustrates me as a writer most is you hear, and this is obviously by people who don't know how the business works is you hear, yeah. oh, well, Hollywood must be out of original ideas, you know, because they keep making, remaking movies. And it's not that at all. Like, every writer that I know that's even written a remake has, like, hun- not hundreds, but dozens and dozens of original scripts. But the thing is, the studios, they when I worked at New Line, like, Bob Shea was a movie lover, like, first and foremost. Like, he loved movies. And all his, you know, Sarah Richer and, like, Mike DeLuca, like, all the team that the creative team that was there, they, they were film lovers. 
they weren't business people. They learned, they knew business, but film was their first love. Then you started seeing in the 2000s and beyond, you saw a lot of business people start taking over all the studios. And now most of the studios, you know, are, you know, you'll have your executives that are, that know film and love film, but most of the decisions are made by a board of people and they're not going to take a chance on an original script when they can just dig into their vault and remake something because they're already like, well, everybody, there's enough people that know this title that will at least get, hopefully guarantee us. They're looking for safety. They don't want to take any yep. chances. So they're like, well, people know the Friday the 13th title. So if we put another Friday the 13th out, that's going to have a better chance at making our money back than if we put out an original movie or they'll do, yeah, they'll do remakes, sequels. Now it's all about big IP. So that's why it's like, well, if we make a movie based off a book that sold 10 million copies, that's potentially 10 million people we know are going to go see the movie. So let's make that. Yeah over an original script and now it's got into video games and comic books and you know so it's 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 not that writers don't have original ideas it's just nobody's finance they won't finance our original ideas you know they want to go with the safe kind of thing so like i've had a lot of my films that we were able to get back from the studios you know pretty much everything but you know day of the dead had a had a big budget but it's, but pretty much everything out of that was like projects of mine that independent producers bought from the studios because they were just kind of sitting on shelves um and then made them for like you know like end like a very indie budget which is cool you know but there's still also the give and take of like well we don't have the studio money to do this like i had hoped we could do it but on the other hand some of the movies have turned out really cool and i love them and it's like plus i i'm getting movies made so i can't bitch you know like that's yeah that's my no, whole, i know that was my whole dream is to work in the industry and so i'm still I'm still alive and kicking. You're doing it. Cut to me. Yeah, yeah. Having a heart attack tomorrow. And we'll be like, oh, he shouldn't, yeah. have, <laughs> shouldn't have said he was alive and kicking. <laughs> no, but I think you're 100% right. I think it's obviously the studios looking for some of that safe, but I think it's also the public too. Maybe if like there was one round of the superhero movies that came out, or like you said, like the, the book movies that maybe if one of them bombed, maybe they one of them. They Maybe then they would reconsider, but never. Yeah, I don't think it will it, ever happen. Like Fast Ten's going to come out and make two billion dollars or something, and it's about like it's nothing like the first movie. The first movie they were stealing, uh, like TV, uh, like VCR DVD combos. Yeah, and now they're like flying in cars. Yeah, they're yeah, and it's 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 you know again it's good luck if you if you get one of those, but. You know, I was yeah, thinking, no, Chris definitely. Nolan, Chris Nolan had had to do two Batman movies before they would let him do Inception. So even the first Batman movie, which was like it's huge, you know, huge worldwide hit, he's like they still would not let they still would not finance Inception. They're like you have to do another Batman movie for for us first. So you know, that's the kind of business that we live in now, and so it's so hard to it's hard to get anything made to be honest these days but it's really hard to get original get like get an original story because people are so afraid and now the studios want you to bring a script to them but then they want to know who your star is and i'm like you guys used to buy the script and then yeah now you want us to you we want the writers to go out and like what are you going to pay a star with like <laughs> we don't have the money to pay stars like what the fuck yeah but you, but I guess you have to find that star that loves your script and then that can attack Cause that's what Sandra Bullock did. She wanted to get like hope floats made. So she agreed to do speed too. 
That's the only right. reason she did that movie was to get another movie made. Yeah, and that's like a shame cool. that Chris Nolan, obviously it's great that Chris Nolan did that because Batman Begins and Dark Knight are like yeah, awesome movies. Batman movies. Yeah. 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 But it's not so that he's forced into that, you know, like, yeah, you know, but, um, <laughs> that's part of the, tra- again, it's part of the trade you keep making. That's why we kind of stick with it is like, you know, Man, so Jeff, what do you uh, what do you have coming up? Uh, obviously, obviously, you're still writing. Writers are always writing. That's what I think it's fascinating about writing, like directing. Obviously, directors can they can't really direct if they're not they don't have a script and actors and everything. But I think that's what's great about writers. You're always sharpening your tools because yeah. you're always writing. Yeah. What well, is there anything that you have coming up soon that you're working on that's going to be coming out? I see like a few on the upcoming. On IMDb, I know that's not 100% accurate, like Cloudlands. Yeah, like a lot, some of that stuff. I mean, some people get a little crazy by putting stuff up on IMDb before. I know. Um, no, but you know, what was interesting is, you know, before when COVID hit, I, I got a job writing like on a couple of animated shows, which for Netflix cool. was really cool. So one was called A Tale Dark and Grim. Um, and the other one was called um, Samurai Rabbit, the Usagi Chronicles, which is based off the famous manga Usagi Ujimbo. Um, it's a spinoff. Oh, nice. it's, not like, it's not like a remake. They're actually making a version, a straight up adaptation of that. And ours is more of a kid's spinoff. So it was that was fun to write in that kid's animated space. Um, you know, I had, had planned, luckily, I, luckily I've sold the script, so the strike doesn't affect that. But, you know, I'm hopefully directing us my first slasher film this summer. Um, so the script's done, bought nothing. <laughs> I'm not scabbing, but I'm, I'm hoping SAG doesn't go on strike. Cause if that happens, then it'll, it'll just push it. But if SAG does have to go on strike, they're striking, you know, we're all striking for the right reason. So that's just a bullet I'm willing to take. Um, and so I, I've just moved into more producing, like I'm producing a horror film right now called psycho pomp. That's um, started filming, or starts filming tomorrow in Texas. Cool. That a cool, a good friend of mine, Paul Etheridge is directing and he wrote it and it's got Jeff Ward from agents of shield in it. And, uh, Shawnee Smith, who's well known to all. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, we got, we have a good cast for that. Um, so that starts shooting tomorrow actually in Texas. So that I'm producing, there are a couple other things I'm producing, but a lot of the stuff I just did a movie called till death do us part. Um, I'm, I'm mucking up the title of that movie and my friend's going to kill me, <laughs> but it was directed by this friend of mine, Timothy Woodard Jr. Who did one of my films, the final wish, and then he did the call as well. And it's an action kind of thriller that's going to be released this summer. I don't, yeah, I, I don't think the plot tells the, yeah, I can't really, it's a, it's about a runaway bride, but there's, it's a lot more than that. It's just really funny, bloody action movie cool so yeah so a lot a lot of the stuff i was working on has, has obviously been put on hold until the strike is over but but yeah i've just been getting you know diversifying and i'm you know i'm going to write something you know i'm definitely planning on writing something for myself while the strike is happening you know it's just i'm i gotta settle on an idea i've got like 30 ideas i'm like oh i should write this one and i'm like oh this one sounds a little yeah typical stuff that we always do to procrastinate and, and put off working so no but it's cool that you're expanding like doing the producing and that movie has cool people in it too jason patrick or orlando jones 
Oh yeah. So there's good yeah. people in that, and and yeah. you and you nailed it. Uh, till till death do us part. Oh, I did. Okay, good. I have a bad habit of like, especially with names or th- titles of stuff. I'll think that I know yeah. what it is, and then I'll start convincing myself <laughs> that I that I that I said it wrong. Um, yeah. So so yeah that that <laughs> that's it's that's gonna be a really fun movie that's coming out this summer. Um, nice. That's cool. You're doing a slasher. That'd be really cool because that's like your roots, you know. Yeah. I'm very, very excited. It's um, it's a little intimidating. It's funny because Guy Busick, who wrote the, you know, the last two screen movies with with a writing partner, uh, partnered up with another writer to write the new Final Destination, and it's based off a story by James Watt or John Watts, who did the Spider Man, the latest Spider Man films. So we've got like a killer creative team behind that, and yeah, I can't talk. Yeah, I'm just. <laughs> I yeah, know no, I hear. I know what it's about. I know what's happening. And that's all I can say. But it's it's a really cool. It's it's going to be. I'm super excited to, to have. It's not just going to be kind of the cut and paste formula of like, oh, it's a traditional like, you know, just an accident. And then, you know, everybody gets knocked off. But there's like one special rule like there's this one goes off in a in a cool different direction, but not in so much of a different direction that it's not a Final Destination movie. So. Sweet. No, I, I think we talked about it earlier. You kind of mentioned it, but I think I do like what the, what they are doing with like the legacy route with writing. So I think it is really smart because you have the people like the Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, you know, Dewey, yeah. you're watching screen five. You're like, Oh, I know them. This is great. But then you have like the younger audience, Jenna Ortega, you have all these different things. So you kind of like get both, both like age groups for yeah. it and then hopefully it can go and go and go because i'm sure now i like when i was younger seeing those screen movies i'm like all right this is gonna be it like after the third one and then i was happy like when the next one came out but now i'm like they're gonna keep going i think hopefully yeah. nev comes back i think she has to it's it's weird because um i'm in a weird place because i love her character but i always connect with these people like you know i connect with them as like I know they're not real. Like I know Sydney Prescott is not a person, but I'm like at this point in her life, like Sydney Prescott since high school has been stalked <laughs> by a murderer and had everybody around her <laughs> love and die. And she's finally married and she has kids now. So I'm like, as much as I would, as a person would love to see her come back. I loved how they said in the last movie, like, you know, she deserves her happy ending. And there's a part of me that's like, I want to see her come back, but as then in my mind, I'm thinking this poor woman, she's now she's married with kids and she's still fucking got to worry about ghosts. Like there, you know, what a traumatizing, it's like what they did with um, Jamie Lee, you know, in the, the latest Halloween. Oh, movie. I know. It's like, Oh, she's her whole life has, you know, been ruined by, well, she, they retroconned all the other movies out of it. So basically she, she was traumatized by like, I mean, not that it wouldn't be traumatizing, but getting chased for five minutes when she was in high school. <laughs> but, but <laughs> she's she's an alcoholic now, and she lives out in the woods, and she, her whole life's been destroyed. And I know trauma does that to people, but for me, it's like with Nev Campbell, it's like, yeah, I do want to see her come back, but then there's a part of me that's like, she has, a, yeah, like as a per, as a character, like <laughs> I want her to be happy, you know. Yeah. 
Plus, I'm worried if they bring her back, then they're going to kill Gail off. Um, so, Jeffrey, man, what what a chat! What a chat! I just loved hearing about how it started as a spec script for X Files. Somebody says, "Hey, you shouldn't do that. Don't send it to them. You should write that as an actual feature." And then, boom, who's going to be directing it? The people from X Files. Amazing. And uh, yeah, I really hope he's able to direct that slasher in the next few months because he sounded pretty stoked on that. So yeah, so your homework, Final Destination 2. I'm sure you've seen it before. We'll watch it again. Jamie's excited. It's a big, this is one of the bigger movies we've done this year. Our horror sequel expert, Chris Egan's going to be back. So that'll be a lot of fun. So yeah. Don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast. Follow us on all social media at Sequels Only. And don't forget to check out our website, SequelsOnly.com. Good night. Good night, guys.